African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mishatama. Remember that you're listening to us on DSTV on Channel 802 Central on DSTV Audio Bouquet. And uh, if you're listening to us uh, via our, our website, it's on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we'll do an update on really the electioneering in South Africa, looking at uh, the build-up to the elections. But before we get into that, let's get our news. We've got Anne Musa. In the headlines, leader of South Africa's opposition, the Democratic Alliance to lead a picket outside the South African Broadcasting Corporation. UN establishes security cordon to protect South Sudanese civilians. And World Health Organization warns attacks on health facilities in Libya happening frequently. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musam. Leader of South Africa's opposition, the Democratic Alliance, Musi Maimani, will lead a picket outside the South African Broadcasting Corporation offices in Auckland Park, Johannesburg, around lunchtime to call for the removal of the corporation's COO, Claudio Mutsuneng. The party says Mutsuneng has, through his tenure at the SABC, proven that is not a fit and proper person to hold the position. Last week, the NGO Right to Know staged protest marches at the SEBC offices in Cape Town, Durban and Johannesburg. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma has condemned last week's violent protests in the Tswane Metro in the country's capital, Pretoria. Five people were killed and more than 200 others arrested when some residents of the metro took to the streets to express their dissatisfaction with the nomination of Toko Dodiza as the metro's ANC mayoral candidate. Last week, the ruling party conceded for the first time that some of its members were involved in the violence. The South African Communist Party has since suspended five of its leaders in the Tswane region for their alleged involvement in the violence. President Zuma has called for calm as the country prepares for municipal elections. The violence and the destruction of property that have taken place in the country during protests are unacceptable. Every South African has the right to protest, but this must be done peacefully in line with the Constitution. Government will continue to build schools, clinics, libraries to improve the lives of our people. 
The UN mission in South Sudan, UNMIS, has established a security cordon around its base, Sedwa, following an outbreak of violence between armed groups and the South Sudanese Army, SPLA. In a statement, UNMIS said it was continuing to provide protection to around 10,000 civilians caught up in the fighting, which began over the weekend. The mission opened its gates on Sunday and allowed uh, civilians in who were fleeing the violence. UN spokesperson Fahan Haq. UNMIS wishes to clarify that opening its gates is not a first line of response in the protection of civilians. At this time, UNMIS is continuing to provide a secure environment for those displaced by the violence in Wau adjacent to its base, and UNMIS will continue additional measures in line with this mandate should the security situation deteriorate further. The World Health Organization has warned attacks on health facilities in Libya are happening more often with, with even more serious consequences for the country's people. WHO's representative in Libya, Dr. Saheed Jafar Hussein, says Benghazi's main hospital and three other health facilities in the eastern city have been targeted in the last five days. The health agency says the attacks violate international humanitarian law and adds that those in Benghazi reflect what's happening elsewhere in the country which has been in turmoil since the overthrow of President Muammar Gaddafi in 2011. Dr. Hussein has called for all warring parties to exercise restraint. We are issuing these appeals to the warring factions that at least tear the hospitals or health facilities because these are neutral places working for whoever ends up there. So that's our major concern. Recapping the top stories, leader of South Africa's opposition Democratic Alliance to lead a picket outside the South African Broadcasting Corporation. The UN establishes a security cordon to protect South Sudanese civilians. And the World Health Organization warns attacks on health facilities in Libya happening frequently. Change your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs educates and entertains and empowers young african entrepreneurs change your game change your game empowering the next generation of outstanding african entrepreneurs tune in on fridays 10 hundred hours to 10 45 a.m central african time and on saturdays 1300 hours to 1400 hours central african time channel africa the voice of the african renaissance
Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Well, today we're doing our uh, follow-up to our free, uh, frequent um, look at the elections in uh, South Africa. We know there's a big build-up to the local government elections just around the corner. There have been a lot of conversations that have been taking place. We know currently there was uh, just recently, actually last week, there was a big conversation that was happening around the mayor of the Pretoria, that's Tswane, and there was a big protest in uh, the Tswane area, the townships there. A lot of uh, uh, property was stolen. A lot of things took place there where there was a huge violent protest that took place there. And it's very interesting to see the violent nature of what's happening currently. And this is happening during campaigning time, just slightly less than six weeks ahead of the 2016 local government elections. The, the ANC also, which is the current ruling party, is battling on many fronts to contain the fallout from a deep political crisis divided over really also the issue of social and economic and political situations that are happening. It's also forced to fight the internal factional battles with a threatening to tear it apart and uh, to look at the latest developments, not only from a political perspective, but overall what's happening in terms of campaigning as well. Uh, we are joined on the line by um, Masutu Mopia, who is the chief electoral officer of the IEC and also we've got Zanele Nen who's a researcher at the Institutional Audit Directorate uh, and a former political science lecturer at the University of uh, of KwaZulu-Natal. That's the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Zanel, let me start this conversation with you. Local government elections are just around the corner. What have been your impressions, especially looking at the quality of the election campaigns that we've seen recently? There's been a certain conversation that's happening around these campaigns this time around. Uh, good morning to you and your listeners. Uh, what I can say from what I, 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 we've been observing over the past few months and past few weeks in particular is the intensity around issues on local government. But um, more interestingly, is we are not really seeing much of a discussion around the policy issues. We're seeing more issues on corruption, we're seeing issues on factionalism and uh, issues on internal party politics. And that seems to be a concern because the, over the past few years, although there were issues around conflict on the election of, of choices of candidates, we, we spoke of mostly uh, policy issues, issues of service delivery. This time around, the focus has shifted. This has something to do with the way in which our politics has uh, taken shape over the past few years. Uh, we can see it from the parliamentary debates um, the nature of this debate, and unfortunately, uh, what's happening in Parliament is a reflection of what's happening uh, mm-hmm. in the overall society. And, and so that is the one trend that we're seeing. The violence is not new. I, I think the violence mm-hmm. is is, uh, is something we're used to. It's not something that we should celebrate. We should condemn it all the time. But it is part and parcel of South African politics. What is new is the way in which it is happening. I mean, for one to undergo what it has experienced. Uh, over the past week is something that is shocking to the to the system. But in, in general, I'm not really surprised um, that this has gone this way. If you were observing over the past few months, in, in fact, for the first the past few years, um, this is where we have always been heading as part of our political system.
Let me move on to you, Masutu, who is the Chief Electoral Officer of uh, the Independent Electoral Commission. Thank you for joining us uh, right now. We know also the other contentious issue was around the IEC and uh, the local government elections we know are in August 3. But we know that there was a constitutional court that ruled that even though the Independent Electoral Commission's acted actions regarding the voters' role were unconstitutional would be given 18 months to clear up the defects, especially when it came to uh, the issue of the clockware and the by-elections. There any lessons that were learned from this season uh, uh, in terms of the IEC, um, uh, Masoto, and in order of the preparations, are we really ready for these elections? Um, let me let me say good morning to you, Benjamin, and, and our co-panelists here. Um, I think it's Mr. Nene. I I I think I think there are two things that 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 have to be said about the issue of the constitutional court. You will recall that um, there was a matter over which we we held uh, different views. Uh, political parties uh, were split. We were split. You know, and and there was a view to be heard on what the correct interpretation of the law would be. We now have that certainty. Mm-hmm. Clearly, um, that that is the one lesson all of us have. Um, have have learned and benefited from. But you'd recall that the court itself, the Constitutional Court, um, on the day that it heard the matter, it started in the morning at 10, it finished at 7 at night, with a very uh, uh, small break in between. The the court itself said this was the most difficult issue it had, it had had to deal with. And and we are very grateful for for them having sought the clarity that we needed. From here on, I think it's important to say we need to act uh, precise, precisely. Uh, we need to, to act with speed. They have directed us to deal with the matter in Drogwe, mm-hmm. which we have proceeded to deal with last week uh, and the weekend. In that area, you will recall, recall that the court, whereas it suspended um, the uh, application of Section 163 uh, in these elections, it said for every by-election we should we should ensure that we have uh, addresses where those addresses are reasonably available, um, and and we 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 will do that. In Tlokwe we were requested to go back there. We have been there last week, um, and 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 we have we have dealt with that situation so long. Mm. Well, uh, I want to bring in uh, your thoughts there, Zanele, in terms of uh, the issue of uh, that particular issue of the IEC. Do you think we can still have confidence in the IEC after this particular process, especially this court case that uh, is uh, connected with the clockwork by elections and also the issue of uh, new voters getting registered, this application of addresses, sufficient details? That has been a big uh, detail as well that was very much uh, making people worried about even these elections but it was good to know that despite uh, people saying they were going to be postponed that August 3 is still the date of the uh, local elections uh, of course I think we can still have confidence in the IEC I mean, the, the, the courts didn't find any uh, malicious intentional wrongdoing on the part of the IEC mm. um, this was a very complex matter um, one that, um, as, as the co-panelists have said, was a very difficult one to deal with. Um, the, the, the issue was politicized. Um, there were genuine issues, but I think most of it was politicized to a point where uh, the, the view was to try and uh, uh, create an impression that the IEC may have been tempered. 
with the votes of straw. Um, but I think the, the, the elections themselves can still go ahead with the, the expected credibility uh, of the IEC. I mean, obviously, when it comes to complex election processes, you will find glitches here and there. And this is one issue that I think going forward will have to be looked at closely, not just in relation to clock, but in relation to voters role in general in, in, in all parts mm, uh, mm. of the country. But it may also have something to do with the way in which we run our elections, mm. which we may actually have to um, look at. And this is not really the job of the IEC. It is a broader conversation that the society must have in terms of what sort of elections do we have and how those should then be implemented. Mm. The IEC simply implements the mm. electoral uh, uh, legislation process according to the legislation. Mm. Well, I know that we're now joined by Dr. Somadota Figeni, who is an independent political commentator. I'm going to have to go to a quick break and we'll get uh, some of the views from uh, Dr. Figeni. We're looking at the build-up to South Africa's local elections. And when we come back, I want to look at really what are the local elections and you know how important are they and how different are they from national elections. These are issues that we might take it for granted. But uh, this is uh, some information that I think we also need to actually clarify because some people think might confuse it with the national um, agenda. So we'll also uh, break that down when we come back after this. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial... 605-47-1711 Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Indeed, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You're with me, Benjamin Moshatama. Remember, on short wave, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And uh, remember, if you're listening to us on DSTV, we're on uh, Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And today we're looking at uh, really our weekly look at the local elections. We'll be doing a build-up until the elections and see how the environment is in terms of uh, the local elections elections in South Africa. We're now joined by Dr. Somadota Figeni, who is uh, uh, much relied on independent political analyst in South Africa. Uh, Dr. Somadota Figeni, we've highlighted some of the issues of uh, really the recent uh, protests that we've seen in Tswane, looking at the build-up to the elections. The whole issue of the Tswane mayor has been a big contentious issue in the last week or so. We've also have on the line the IEC, who they've tried to explain the issue on the constitutional court decision on uh, the clock issue your thoughts on the, the environment that we find ourselves right now in 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 the upcoming local government elections especially this build-up that we're seeing well increasingly over the years we have started seeing that whenever you have elections 
national, provincial or local government elections, there is an upsurge of service delivery protests because the voters and communities believe that the timing of election campaigning might either embarrass those who are not delivering into delivery or may put pressure on any ruling party in that given area to deliver. That's the first thing. The second one, politics have been corrupted in many ways because the struggle for people to be on the candidate list at the very top has become quite a brutal exercise where people from within the same party at times are prepared to exchange blows Mm. are prepared to mobilize in order to get their names in. And this is largely a consequence of an economy that is struggling to provide employment, struggling to sustain emerging small black businesses, and many people begin to see politics as the only remaining avenue, either to get employment or to get access to resources of state where in patronage of distributing tenders may take place. Mm, and also in terms of uh, the issue we were talking about uh, a few weeks ago on the IEC's uh, constitutional court case, what were your views on, on that? Well, I do think that it was quite a dilemma which could have put easily us into a constitutional crisis because if in a literal sense, IEC was required to do the reconciliation of addresses for the entire country. I doubt they would have been able to do that between now and August. But also, it was an indication of some of the flaws in our system, no matter how well-intentioned these might be, in a society where you have a considerable population that has no permanent place of residence mm. and some informal settlements and so forth. So IEC would have to be quite creative in a sense or else run a risk of their reputation, hard and reputation over the years being ruined uh, by some of these instances. Mm. I want to come back to you, Masutu, in terms of the IEC's position on this environment that we find ourselves, especially the violence. Is the IEC worried, especially because things are building up to the local elections? And uh, are you guys uh, having these conversations, how to deal with this environment? Yes, um, we we, we are certainly um, concerned. Um, You will recall that last week um, when... uh, Tony erupted. We we um, we issued a very stern statement on, on that situation and said it's unacceptable. It it makes it difficult um, for ordinary electioneering and the preparations for elections to consider unhindered. And um, we have called upon leaders of political parties, their supporters, their members, their office bearers, to ensure that they um, they comply with the code. This is a code that we are required to prescribe in law. We have done so. And once we have prescribed that code, that code is then enforceable by the electoral court. We have called on people who, who um, uh, indicate or allege that uh, there have been violation of that code. Uh, we've, we've said to them, report the matter to the police, get in touch with us. We provide it on the website, uh, on, on the media, 
uh, I mean, in the media, our contact details in respect of the code. And we have made arrangements. Uh, you know, we have spoken to um, leaders of political parties through our normal liaison structures that anyone that violates this, the time has come for this matters to be taken to court mm. and for the sanctions to be had by the court. People make the mistake that say, IEC, um, you must understand the issue in China. It's mm. within a certain political party. Uh, remove them from the ballot. Mm. We will not do so mm. because we have no authority in law to do. Mm. The authority rests with the electoral court. And that's a matter that I think we need to stress. Mm. We will work tirelessly and where we believe that there's a violation, we have information at our disposal, mm-hmm. like everyone else um, who is uh, a member of, of, of this uh, society mm-hmm. um, who condemns these things. Mm-hmm. We will take these matters to court where we have the evidence. Mm-hmm. And that we are asking everyone to help us in that regard as well. That brings uh, the whole issue of the political party, the EFF's complaint about uh, them feeling intimidated in some of the campaigns that they co- that's the economic freedom fighters. Uh, they felt that there wasn't much done for them in order to protect them during their campaigning when they felt intimidated. Have you dealt with those issues, Masuto? Yes, we are. We are mm. dealing with those issues. Mm. We met with the economic freedom fighters last week was an amicable meeting. Sure. They understand where the issues are at. Sure. They also understand that um, the IEC does not have a police service. Okay. They don't have a security service. We use the same security, okay. the same police, and, and that there must be an understanding that, um, you know, on issues that must be dealt with in the, on the campaign trail, um, these arrangements must be made with the municipalities, with the police and everybody. And where these arrangements are brought into disrepute, we, we need to deal with them because no one should, should fear to go and campaign in a democratic uh, society. Mm, coming to you, Zanele Nene, researcher at the Institutional Audit Directorate. I'm also interested in seeing that issue of KwaZulu-Natal where there were candidates that were being assassinated and you're seeing that factionalism within the ANC and it seems like there's a huge struggle for leadership there. Uh, what are your assessments to this uh, problem within uh, the ANC itself? They should be actually an example as they are, the ruling party, and they've been leading the country since the uh, you know, f- since the new dispensation. So, but we're seeing very much negative uh, uh, divisions within uh, the um, the organization. Well, I could say this uh, um, and be confident that uh, many of us will agree with this. But the problem of factionalism uh, and the problem of infighting within the is actually quite. Zanil, I'm, I'm sorry, but can you can you speak up just a little bit? I'm having a hard time um, hearing you. Just a little yeah. bit, if you can just um, lift it up for me. All right, uh, I'm saying the, the the problem of factionalism and infighting within the ANC is very old. Um, some would argue that when the ANC came into power, they already had such issues. Um, and so, when 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 you now have a political party uh, that is this big and, and this dominant in, in such a, in, an environment, you are bound to have uh, some people wanting to use that dominance for their own personal um, benefits. 
And it is that patronage and factionalism that will result in this infighting that we see, which unfortunately has become very violent over the over the years. Yes, we could argue that the ANC should be exemplary to other organizations, but we should also look at the type of society that the ANC mm-hmm. leads. Um, with, with the type of violence that we saw in the 1990s and the 1980s, which was not really dealt with. And that became part and parcel of the politics that we now have in this country. It becomes very difficult for one political party to deal with, mm. even internally. Mm. Um, and also you have issues about dissatisfaction um, amongst people who think that those who are in power within the ANC do so for their own benefit and forget those who are not necessarily in power. And therefore it becomes a competition for positions, not necessarily for the sake of their positions or responsibility, mm. but so that we have access to power and we have access to, to, to resources. Mm. Up until the ANC confronts this directly, and not just the ANC, in all other political parties and the society as a whole, to say that we can't really have a, uh, a society whose politics is riddled with mm. violence, that one, when people do not get their way, they tend to be violent. Up until all of us deal with this, then the ANC is also going to suffer. Uh, I would mm. say that the ANC is also a reflection of society in as much as it leads uh, such a, a, a society. Mm. But it also has, the, the other thing is the trust within the ANC itself with ordinary members through their own leadership. Um, and, and this begins to be a question of, of uh, performance of the leaders. Do the leadership, uh, the leaders, lead it with integrity and dignity? And, and over the years, the ANC has been found wanting. Maybe a rebuild of the ANC is required um, at this stage, mm. including the question of the the the, um, the space for young people to lead the organization um, and perhaps to bring in new ideas. Mm. Let me move that to you, Dr. Somatota Figeni. Um, Zanele Nene, they're saying that uh, it is a historical nature of uh, our country, the violent nature in which we kind of put take on you know uh and uh, is that a, a good enough excuse to say i wouldn't say an excuse but a reason to see these kind of killings continuing especially what's happening there in kwazulu natal where we've seen uh, candidates being assassinated within the province it's <clears throat> it is a lot more complex than that uh, we have to go back almost a period more than a century or two when you had Mfetane and chiefdoms and kingdoms were rising. Places such as uh, Kingdom of Pondoland and Guazulu Natal, which seemed to have done well at that time, sort of built their identities around wars such as Yoshaka Zulu, and later on, uh, you know, Isandrane battles and so forth. Mm-hmm. So there's a militarism ingrained in some of the collective psychology that has to be dealt with in the first place. It's not just confined to South Africa per se. You have many places, whether it's in India, among the Sikh, who keep invoking some of their warrior traditions in a way. The second one, is the internal democracy within the political parties. Once that collapses and we have factionalism, which fight on the basis of winner-takes-all in a zero-sum game, it becomes the war of the jungle within the parties themselves. The third one 
It's when people suffer a subtle violence of not being listened to on their service delivery when they're protesting about corruption and so forth, and there seem to be nothing serious taken and engagements are superficial. Mm. After a while, it brings a violent reaction because people are compressed economically, socially, poverty, unemployment, and so forth, violent crimes, and they believe more could be done but the elite has developed social distance from their constituencies. That, too, often breeds violence. Mm. And lastly, supporting the point that was raised, we've gone through a conflict-ridden past, uh, which was quite violent, Mm. and violence was almost glamorized, romanticized, when it was quite convenient to do so. But we have not had a national conversation, one, to deal with the previous trauma of apartheid and have a sense of closure. We almost went in that direction with the Truth and Reconciliation, but it was, you know, stopped when the business was not finished. Mm. Hence, the rage in the highways, the rage in the parking lots, the just sitting anger because people are suppressing what they feel and they communicate it amongst their friends and when it explodes, it explodes bringing to the fourth the whole lava of anger compressed over a long time. Mm. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll come back to some of these issues, but I want to get to the crux of the matter. What do local elections mean currently in South Africa? I don't know. After, uh, this one seems to be have taken a different kind of nature for me. It's been one of those um, uh, local elections. I think it's very historical in terms of just the consciousness around it, people's awareness of it, and uh, just how much we are talking about these local elections. Uh, are they pertinent for us to actually take these local elections more seriously. We know the numbers drop a little slightly when it comes to local elections compared to the the national elections. How essential are these elections? We'll answer those questions after this break. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I 
While we're zooming into South Africa today, we're looking at uh, the 2016 local elections that are to take place uh, on the 3rd of August this year. Many challenges, as you've heard as we started the program, looking at just the environment that we find ourselves in, which is very worrying, as you heard there from Masutumupia from the IEC, saying the IEC is very worried about the current uh, violence uh, uh, that we've seen, especially uh, when it comes to the protests and the nature of protests that we've seen. But I want to move on slightly and look at the importance of these uh, uh, local elections. And Masuti, let's not take it for granted asking this question, what are local elections compared to the national elections, just to get the difference between that two so we don't get people confused as well in terms of the importance of, of these elections. I think um, local government elections uh, are the elections that really draw government closer to uh, the citizenry. You know, it's all well and good uh, when issues of national policy are decided. But I think for many people, it's what of, of all of that, uh, what that, that means to them where they are. Um, it, it, it talks to their service issues, um, water lights, um, their streets, um, you know, their safety, all of those things are the issues that are canvassed at the local level where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue of development in their area, all of those are the issues that this, uh, this election is about. But it is important to know that um, even in these elections, um, there, there's a two-part um, process that we go through. One is um, you need to know a person, uh, Paul to Ward Councillor. This is a person in the area that you live. It's a limited geographic area. Uh, this is the person that you need to, you know, you can meet in the street or you should be able to meet in the street and talk about, um, talk about your concerns to them directly. That's the one part. The other part, it's, um, you know, a party in that, in that municipality that when they are sitting in council and taking decisions about your area uh, will be representing you, you know, that, that, that proportional representation portion. Uh, this combination of a direct election as well as uh, a proportionally represented uh, um, candidate was designed in a manner that sh- you know uh, sought to give the voter the optimal benefit of you know how local government is used. That's why it's so important mm. that when when we have this kind of elections, citizens participate in them in their greatest numbers. We have unfortunately the world over seen that local government, uh, unfortunately, um, is treated as an election that does not mean so much uh, as opposed to national uh, and provincial elections. Mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate. Zanele, your thoughts there on the importance of local elections? I, I know there seems to be a trend as well in, in South Africa that local elections are just another uh, exercise. And I know that it's because there's such a huge emphasis, just because of the history of South Africa, our first national election that was such a huge celebration. So we, we tend to actually take those more seriously because we think that that's when is the democratic processes are actually fulfilled. But local elections are as pertinent and it's it seems like south africans are not so um optimistic when it comes to the local elections well i think the problem is largely around how we market local government elections okay um we 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 may say for example that the the national elections tend to be seen as more important 
Uh, but even political parties themselves tend not to put as much emphasis on local government as they do national and provincial elections or, or general elections. But we, we must be careful also here because we, we have to look at the structure of uh, local government and okay. the electoral process itself uh, in, in relation to local government. Um, uh, we can say now it's no longer as confusing, but initially it was rather confusing that you have a, a two ballot papers, one for what councillors and one for a proportional uh, councillors. Uh, and, and that also has to be considered in, in, in the context of the levels of education, the levels of awareness that the society has. But also at local government, this is where you find the real issues and real frustration. Uh, and this is where local government is, is important, and that is to not only deliver services to people, but also to promote public participation of the people. And, and unfortunately, over the years, we've seen that local government has not really been very good at doing both efficiently. Mm-hmm. You find that, for example, um, where services are not being delivered properly, there also isn't a strong level of, of public participation. So the engagement between countries and the citizens creates this divide between the government and citizens, which then means that people are not interested in, 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 in taking part in local government elections. Um, by not voting, um, the apathy that we see, that is a form of protest. It is not necessarily that people are just lazy or not aware, but sometimes there is a view that what is the point of voting if the services that I need are not going to be delivered? Mm. So I will then protest. Uh, It's a thing that we must consider very carefully, that we are not just simply saying uh, South Africans are apathetic, uh, but we are saying that, in fact, um, there is a reason why they are not sending out in their numbers. But we must also consider that the, the people who vote at general elections tend to vote differently at local government even when they vet turnout. Why is this split in the vote? Why they, would they vote differently uh, at local government than they would at general uh, elections? Uh, and, and so I think it, it, it is a conversation that we are avoiding mm-hmm. to have, and that is the nature of our electoral process mm-hmm. and how that translates to the relationship between the government and itself and the citizens mm-hmm. on, on the ground. Let me take that to you, Dr. Samadota Figeni, as we're about to wrap it up. Your thoughts on the process of local elections. Do you think there's still a good awareness on a community level and understanding on how essential they are, especially when it comes to the element of uh, uh, citizenry and uh, participation for us as ordinary people to be part of the uh, governance of our communities? Some people are aware, but they are inhibited from fully participating in those spaces because those who control the spaces would like to control them, control the process, control the outcome, even at ward meeting levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, at another level, I do think that when parties campaign for local government elections, they tend to bring in their national leaders, their national issues, national policies. And as such, people start thinking, two years ago we were doing the same thing, therefore the local dimension doesn't come out quite effectively. Mm. And thirdly, there is the frequency of demarcation in some of the words. Just when they were beginning to create networks and social capital and interactions and development projects, then the word is redemarcated and some half is taken elsewhere. So that doesn't bring stability and predictability.
Well, that's uh, how we're going to wrap up. Um, I just want to have just uh, 30 seconds of your final sentiments, Musutu. Moving forward, what would we like to see for a conducive environment? Just in 30 seconds before I go back to Zanele and uh, Dr. Figeni for their final sentiments. There has to be peace um, in, in this country, the, in, in this nation. There has to be acceptance that, um, you know, the best candidates will win, uh, and they will win because uh, they appeal the most to the communities that uh, yeah. they serve. From yeah. our part, we commit that this we will do everything possible to ensure that these elections are indeed elections that South Africa should be proud of. Zanelli, your final sentiments? The articulations of leaders of political parties is actually quite crucial. Um, through them, we could have a peaceful election, but also through them, we could have a, a, an unstable and a not so free and fair election. So leaders are critical. The message they send to their constituents is Dr. Figeni, your conclusion to this conversation? Well, I do think that uh, communities and individual voters should be a lot more active even between elections so that they can be able to hold leaders accountable. And secondly, internal party democracy uh, will go a long way in preventing some of the tensions around election party lists. Well, thank you so much to all of you for giving us your time. We know we have a lengthy program, so we do appreciate your patience and making your time available to us. Thank you to Dr. Somadota Figeni, the independent political analyst, Zanele Nene, a researcher at the Institutional Audit Directorate. Thank you to Musutu Mupia, who is the Chief Electoral Officer of the IEC. Thank you all for making yourselves available. Thank You're you. Welcome. Thank you. That takes us uh, to 11.45 Central African time. What are your thoughts on uh, this story? Give us your thoughts by sending us an SMS on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero or emailing us at info at channelafrica.org. It's almost 11.45 Central African time. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, it's 11.45 Central African time. Let's get our business news. We've got Amanda Machaka standing by. Thank you, Benjamin. Good morning. Financial Services Standard and Poor's and Fitch have downgraded the United Kingdom's credit rating. S&P downgraded the nation by two notches from AAA to AA, citing last week's referendum that approved a British exit from the European Union. Fitch, meanwhile, moved its rating from AA plus to AA. Fitch says that uncertainty following the referendum outcome will induce an abrupt slowdown in short-term GDP growth as businesses defer investment and consider changes to the legal and regulatory environment. The agency said it had revised down its forecast for the UK's 2016 real GDP growth to 1.6% from one9 
South Africa's Trade and Industry Minister Rob Davis says Britain's exit from the European Union will not have an impact on South Africa's trade relations with the UK. He was speaking to delegates at the third annual manufacturing conference in Ekoruleni. Davis says the UK will remain an important trading partner for South Africa. Imports from the UK to South Africa stand at billions of US dollars. Zimbabwe lost half of its daily power supply after a technical hitch disrupting business in an economy struggling to overcome a commodities downturn and severe drought. The local power firm said a total of 800 megawatts of electricity was lost due to the fault on its distribution system and its technicians are hoping to restore power by midday. A large amount of the power lost is generated at Zimbabwe's Kariba Hydro Power Plant, while the rest is made up of imports from neighboring Zambia and Mozambique. Peak power demand in Zimbabwe has fallen over the last decade to 1,600 megawatts from 2,200 megawatts before a recession. Egypt, the world's biggest buyer of wheat, has enough strategic reserves of the commodity to last until mid-January 2017. Egypt says it has received 5 million tons of wheat from local farmers since the start of its harvest season on April 15, more than its target of 4 million tons. Nigerian shares have fallen as local funds sold on concerns that Britain's vote to leave the European Union may slow foreign interest in the market. The main stock index shed 2.2%. Nigeria's stock market rallied more than 8% last week, uh, fueled by investors hoping that a central bank reform to interbank currency trading would lure back uh, foreign funds. And now for a look at your financial indicators. The U.S. dollar is trading at 15.27 to the South African rent, at 10.93 to the Botswana Pula, and at 10.84 to the Zambian Kwacha. It's at 0.75 to the British pound and at 0.90 to the euro. On to commodities, gold is uh, trading at $1,317 and platinum is at $975 per ounce. And the price of print crude oil is at $47.73 a barrel. That's the latest business news. Well, it's time for us to quickly move on and get our sports. Musibudi Makura is standing by. Thank you, Benjamin. Good day, sports fans. And starting off with football news, Zimbabwe Sports and Recreations Minister Makosini Songwani has finally broken his silence on the June 4th dissolution of ZIFA and the subsequent formation of its successor, the National Football Association of Zimbabwe, by the Philip Chiangwa-led board, saying the move was illegal. Songwani told journalists at a press conference in Bulawayo on Monday that the dissolution of the football mother body was not done in accordance with the laws of the country and as, su- and as such. Zifa was uh, still operational and that the newly established association is non-existent. The government official said the dissolution of Zifa needed to be done lawfully and in accordance with its constitution before any recognition by the ministry as well as the World Football Governing Body, FIFA.
Meanwhile, in Nigeria, Amaju Pinik, the president of the Nigerian Football Federation, says the Super Eagles will have a substantive head coach within the next two weeks. The football body is working around the clock to ensure they get a new coach for the Super Eagles. NFF spokesperson Adamola Oraraji has the details. Uh, yeah, a number of people have uh, applied, uh, you know, uh, mostly foreign, uh, foreigners and I'll say expatriates have applied and uh, the technical committee has made the, uh, the turn open the job, you know, for both expatriates and uh, indigenous Nigerian coaches. Um, you know, even before the World Cup draw, we knew that we needed to get a substantive coach, you know, after uh, Sunday Lisa left uh, in February. Uh, since then, we have, we've had, uh, you know, interim coaches uh, in Siasia and uh, Alex Yusuf. Now we're working to get uh, a substantive coach, and we know that we need to get that quickly sorted out, you know, before the beginning of the World Cup uh, qualifiers in October. The new coach also has to familiarize himself with the players, you know, and get to know them very well, you know, before that first match uh, against Zambia. Back home, South African premiership side um, Kaz Chiefs have officially announced John Pencil as Steve Compella's assistant for the upcoming season. The former Ghana international reunites with Compella, having worked with him at Maritzburg United two seasons ago. Pencil brings a lot of experience as a former footballer, having played for the Ghanaian national team for many years. He says he's honoured to be part of the team. It's been an amazing and great opportunity to be part of uh, Kaza Chiefs family. Um, since I joined uh, the team a uh, few days, um, I think I have a good feeling that uh, I'm not here alone. I'm not going to be here alone. It's a family and it's, uh, great people around. I've met the chairman himself. I've met Bobby and also um, the man himself, uh, Coach Steve Compella. They've made the place very, very uh, good, um, welcome, and I feel at home. And we are praying to God that what boss John Pinto here uh, would be amended uh, very soon. And thank you all for having me here, and may God bless all of us. Meanwhile, Kansas Chiefs head coach Steve Compella believes John Pencil is the best option for the co- of all the coaches that were available for the assistant job. I've worked with John Pencil, and at Chiefs, we all know, pressure is immense. And you've got to be addicted to pressure working at Chiefs. And there's nothing that is perfect than winning trophies. And this guy has a pedigree. He's been to two World Cups, 2006, 2010. He's played in England for several teams. I've worked with him at, Man- at Marisbeck United. I know the personality, the character, the qualities, both technical and humanistic. And at the back of having gone through a lot of searching and identifying, he came up the candidate who topped the list. On to cricket news, when New Zealand tours South Africa in August, they will do so with the assistance of a man who has been close to the Proteus for the last 10 years. According to reports, the Kiwis have appointed Rian Muller as the new logistics manager. This is the same position that Muller held, held at the Proteus up until the end of the World T20 in India this year. Muller, who has, had a, uh, who has been a previous sports therapist at the Proteus, was elevated to logistics manager back in 2012 
under Gulam Raj's leadership. Muller and his family are expected to relocate to New Zealand later this year, but before then, the Kiwis will be in South Africa for two tests on the 19th and the 27th of August. Meanwhile, the Kiwis are expected to spend some time at the Pretoria High Performance Centre in July before leaving for a short tour of Zimbabwe. And finally, tennis news: Novak Djokovic raced to a six-love, three-love lead, then held a firm, um, held on firm. Um, the rest of the match as he opened his bid for a third straight Wimbledon title and fourth straight Grand Slam championship with a straight set win over Britain's James Ward on Monday. In keeping up with tradition, Djokovic played the first match on centre court as the men's defending champion, and he came out. Um, he came on to uh, he came out to win the match six love seven six six four in just over two hours to extend his Grand Slam winning streak to twenty nine matches. He says. He's happy with the start to his title defense. Credit to him for serving well. I think that's that w- that made a difference for him. Um, the second part of the second set, and also for most of the third set, he in important moments uh, managed to hit some good angles with the, with the first serves. Um, but uh, you know, the first part of the match was was almost flawless. So I'm I'm, I'm very pleased with the way I've started uh, Wimbledon. The Zion Sports News at the Sour Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you for joining us here today on our program. We'll be back to to you tomorrow at 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock Central African time. Remember, we want to hear your views. What do you think about our programming? Uh, you can SMS us your thoughts on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. You can also email us info at channelafrica.org is the email address. Or you can also get hold of us by just visiting our website and finding out what we're all about. Uh, go to www.channelafrica.co.za or our Facebook page where you can comment as well. Our Facebook page is simply titled Channel Africa. Let's end with a song. This is Jeff Malulega and it's titled No Trust. <laughs>